0: Hi, I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. And of course, as we always say, uh, our primary responsibility, as we see it, is to help build your faith through having conversations about many different topics, whether it be ministry or theology um, or even church history at times. All the different things that we talk about are intended to help build your faith and to increase your zeal uh, to serve the Lord. Now, this week, we're going to be having a conversation uh, with Pastor Kenny Morgan, chair of the foundations department at LFBI, but also a pastor at Midtown Baptist Temple. So over the last year, if you've been paying attention to the news at all, you recognize that there's been a ton of political and social upheaval, and a lot of that deals with the issue of race and race in America. And uh, just like the 21st century church often finds itself doing, uh, we are struggling through, a lot of people, a lot of churches are struggling through uh, their perspective on the issue of race. This has always been an issue in the church, uh, especially in America, we've got black churches and white churches, and historically, there's been a struggle and, and a difficulty in, in wading through what the responsibility uh, of the church should be as it concerns the issue of race and relationship and, and cultural differences. And you can even see that if you look back at the church in Rome or in Corinth. These are things that have always come up. These are issues that are common. Uh, But what we have to do is figure out where we align ourselves with God's Word. It's critical that we find our identity and who we're supposed to be from God's Word primarily. And, And so having Pastor Kenny here on the show is, a, is gonna be a great opportunity for us to have a conversation about identity. We're gonna talk about uh, the potential contentions uh, that, a, that a black Christian might face within the local church context, things that they've struggled with, that are unique to them, things that they have to work through culturally. But we're also gonna talk about and address this issue of identity and, and ultimately what it looks like to make our identity sourced primarily in Christ above everything else, and, and where do we find our purpose and our perspective and ultimately uh, our reason for living. And so with that I want to welcome Pastor Kenny Morgan onto the show. Good to have you, man.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. What yeah. a what a topic.
0: It's a big one. Yeah. And I think we've put, we've kind of put this off a little bit just mm-hmm. because we know that it's such a hot button issue and and our goal isn't to to ruffle any feathers or even to have a conversation about the political issues that surround this, right? right. Like I don't even think that's our heart desire is to go there. Uh, even though we could we could have that conversation, I think the beneficial one is just to talk about your experience,
1: yeah, the, the, that ground's been covered a lot. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of really great yeah.
0: people having that conversation. Absolutely. And, but I do want to I do want to hear from you um, because you grew up in a primarily black urban setting, and you have a history and how you came to Christ. I want to hear your salvation story and and how God began to transform you. So maybe start in the beginning.
1: yeah, sure. so i was I was born. Uh, in, in Florida I lost my father at a very very young age mm-hmm. I was uh, even before I was two years old I lost my dad he actually drowned trying to save a little girl from drowning and as mm-hmm. far as I know her name is Cynthia she's still alive to this day because of his his literal sacrifice uh, his life for hers wow. but we moved from Florida to Atlanta we have family there and that's where I grew up um, I grew up in a home that, had an intellectual acknowledgement or belief in God, but we were not believers. Mm. Uh, I would go to church on average, maybe once, twice the most year, but it, it was just kind of this understanding that, yeah, there, there is a God right. and he's up there and we're down here. Mm-hmm. And so I, I lived my life that way. And whenever things would get really tough, you know, I throw up a prayer and maybe sure. he's listening will help me out sort yeah. of thing. But as I graduated from high school and you know, was just trying to figure out what next, my mom had concerns about my future and my choices and my influences. And I had a cousin who lived in Kansas City mm. named Vincent and he was very close to my father mm. when he was a, a boy. And so when my father passed, he kind of took me in under his wing until he left to go to the military and then of course we moved to Atlanta so we kind of lost touch but yeah but at 18 we reconnected and and had a conversation and he goes I think you ought to come to Kansas City and, and, and try it out mm-hmm. I don't know anything about Kansas City you know when you grow up uh, as a African-American young man in the ATL I yeah mean, Kansas City I'm like well That's the Wizard of Oz and the Chiefs. That's all I knew. I, (laughs) it just wasn't on my radar. But my mom thought it was a good idea. She thought a change of scenery would would do me some good. And so here it was, August 10th of 1992. My mom gave me a Greyhound bus ticket, Mm. a $20 bill. And she gave me a hardcover KJV Bible. Wow. And she said, you need to find a good church to go to. So that twenty bucks had the stretch yeah. <laughs> from Atlanta, Georgia, to Kansas City, wow. making thirty stops. And by the time I got to KC, I was broke. Man. But my cousin met me at the bus station. I stayed with him and his wife. She worked at St. Luke's Hospital. Okay. And um, she got me an interview, and I got a job at St. Luke's Hospital. And I had it for a while, and I I met a woman, a godly woman, at St. Luke's Hospital named Rosie. Mm. Uh, She was a technician in the neurovascular lab, so she did tests on the human brain. So I would pick up patients from their room, take them to her department for tests, and then take them back. Well, in doing that, I got to know her. she would be doing chart work and things like that, and little did I know she was praying for me. Mm. And she would later tell me, she goes, I would go home and I would tell her husband, David, David, this young man is going to come to faith in Jesus Christ and God's going to use him. I had no idea. Wow. And so uh, one day she invited me to church. Mm -hmm. And so I went. It was uh, June of 94. And so I show up at the Kansas City Baptist Temple Mm -hmm. Church. Yep. I'm wearing a three-piece suit. I mean, I had a maroon tie, I had a maroon handkerchief, I had maroon dress shoes, I was dressed to the nine. Wow, I'd and, love to have seen that. Oh,
0: it's- Have you worn a suit like that since?
1: No, <laughs> I have not, I have not. So I, I go to, to KCBT and I walk in into the foyer and, and I was just blown away i felt as if i'd stepped into a mall there were just people everywhere and the place was just buzzing with energy and juice and i'm like okay what is this place Hmm. and i'm like okay where's rosie (laughs) because i have no clue where i've landed so she took me into the service i sat with her and i'm looking around and just i was just blown away by this like i had never seen anything like it one there's like black people and white people and everybody is excited and they're singing and they're hugging each other and and i mean what is this place yeah you hadn't seen anything like that i've never seen anything like it and so as i'm watching all this i i jeff starts to teach and i still remember to this day he was preaching from first peter chapter five i still remember the 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 text and the message and i'm like okay i can get some of this I, i think i'm tracking with him to some extent But at one point I noticed people were writing stuff down. So I I turned to Rosie and I go, what are they writing down? And she goes, they're taking notes from the sermon. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I I was like a fish out of water, man. I had no clue what was going on. So afterwards I met her husband, Dave, and he invited me to come back to a Monday night Bible study Mm. at KCBT. So I went back and after the Bible study, I was just completely in awe of the bible like i had no idea that the bible was that rich that relevant and that deep Mm. that people could just ask random questions and that the bible actually had answers wow and so we walk out after the service and um you know he had given an invitation but i was too afraid to stand up in a crowd that size and so i said hey i had a great time i said but this whole thing about being saved like i I think I am, you know, I've, I've done a lot of good things in my life, I've done a few bad things, but I've done more good than bad, but I should be good, right? And he looked at me and he goes, well, do you wanna be sure? And I'm like, yeah, right. I, I I can be sure. Right. So looking back, I was a layup for him, right? said, like, oh, this is, this is gonna be easy. But God was at work. God was at work. And so he took me back to his home that night, that was around 10 o'clock that night, and I sat down at his kitchen table and this was Dave Hill pastor Dave Mm -hmm. Hill who's with Alan Shelby at Harvest Baptist who
0: had come to disciple you
1: absolutely and he led me to Christ at his kitchen table two weeks later he stood up with me when I got baptized and uh, and from there he started discipling me and uh praise the Lord God God changed my life it, it was I knew that night when I left his home I knew that I had met Christ wow. and I knew that my life would never be the same and from that moment on the Lord has been as gracious as he was to me at Calvary mm-hmm. and has given me a plan that has exceeded anything that I ever could have imagined for my life for his glory
0: well, I'm I'm definitely thankful that he saved you because you're you're a big deal to to me and to this ministry and and so I'm grateful for that and we could we could talk about that all day but what we want to talk about I mean specifically you know uh, this idea of race mm-hmm. and the church uh, and so to to camp out on you know just that cultural experience you came in you you saw that there was like black people and, and white people ministering together mm-hmm. in the church and that's something that was new to you. What was your perspective prior to that experience, uh, coming up, growing up? What was your perspective of race, and what was the significance of uh, you know of your bla- of your blackness mm-hmm. in terms of life and, and how you perceived
1: yourself? So I'll take you back to something that um, Dr. Martin Luther King once said, and I think all of us have maybe heard this at some point. Mm-hmm. But he said, "The most segregated hour in the South." Happens on Sunday mornings at at 10 a.m., mm. and he was right. You know, growing up in the South, in Atlanta, in terms of my experience there, you know, I grew up uh, in an urban, suburban part of Atlanta, a, a town called Decatur. But I grew up specifically in 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 South Decab or South mm-hmm. Decatur, which is about 90 percent African American. Uh, the school district about ninety-seven percent black. I mean that that that's what I knew, and so it, it was very segregated. I mean, for the most part, the white people that I encountered uh, as a child they were business owners or police officers or, or firemen mm-hmm. or something like that. So my world really wasn't integrated at all. Mm-hmm. It was it was very very black, and so. That day at the Kansas City Baptist Temple to to be there and to see that scene to see blacks and whites who were together and it seemed so natural and it seemed so harmonious and genuine like I I had never seen that um, and when I did go to church or when I would go to church as a kid which wasn't very much mm-hmm. it was a, you know just very very black you just that's all that I knew, right. And so I had never seen anything like that, but I it was beautiful to me mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of seeing you know a, a multicultural church gather and worship like that it was was phenomenal. When you came to know Christ, I mean,
0: as you've grown in your faith, but particularly in those first few years of discipleship and, and being a new believer, were there times where you feel felt um, you were working through, uh the the race issue uh, maybe either issues of, of how you were perceived or how you perceived other people um, I mean it was a multi-ethnic church and so you're probably constantly being confronted in, in small ways by cultural differences and, and things like that How did you work through that or or was it an issue and if it wasn't like maybe explain a little bit
1: yeah I I don't really recall that I, I had, that type of struggle if you would in terms mm-hmm. of 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 struggling with you know things that were happening or, or not happening and, and and me you know fighting with that because because i'm black i will say this my struggle was if it was racial it was racial in this regard I was, I came to faith at the age of 22, mm-hmm. okay? So by the age of 22, I, I had grown up in a fatherless home, okay? And I, gr- I had grown up in, in basically a fatherless culture. Mm-hmm. You know, the vast majority of my friends, I had never met their fathers. I, I didn't know who they were. I, I had, and I have cousins to this day, I've never met their fathers, and so by the time I came to faith in Christ at the age of 22, I was severely deficient in the area of manhood. Mm. I was deeply immature. I was extremely irresponsible. I was very ill-equipped for life in terms of managing life, mm. how a man is to manage life and steward life. I I was so deficient. Mm. And so so I brought that baggage into my relationship with the Lord. And so as I began to get discipled and get established in God's word, I was then confronted with what the Bible teaches about how I am to think, speak, and behave as a believer in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. not a black man. Right. So the issue became now there were confrontations between what the Bible was calling me to versus what I had known for 22 years. Yeah. That was the byproduct of my culture or the situation that I grew up in. Like I I didn't have, I didn't have father. I didn't have Mm -hmm. a father, nor did I have fathers. I didn't have men who were in my life to point me, A, to Christ, if not that, to point me to, hey, this is how you think, speak, and live as a young man. This is what manhood ultimately looks like someday. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ, I had to clear those hurdles. Do you have any any stories or examples of how you, you had to work through that? Wow. I tell you I tell you who does pops yeah pops is what you refer to Dave absolutely yeah yeah pops the man who who led me to Christ and discipled me there was a lot of diaper changing and I'm Mm -hmm. sorry to be too graphic or inappropriate but but I was a babe in Christ yeah and so I had brought a lot of that baggage, like I said, I brought all of it into my relationship with the Lord. And so as I began to grow, He had to to, to just sit me down and have some hard conversations with me. Things as basic as, "Hey, here's how you balance your checkbook." Yeah. Here's why you want to pay your bills on time. Hmm. Here's how you treat women. I mean, it, it was it was all of that. That these were things that, as a young man. I needed my father or a father to come alongside me and say, Hey, listen, so I'm going to teach. I mean, things that I'm teaching my son or I've taught my son when he was eight years old, I hadn't learned by the time I was 22. Mm. And so, pops had to own that and pick up that slack. And so, some of those stories, I would say, you're asking for examples. I I think I, I would be too embarrassed to even <laughs> share some of them but also say this by the grace of God I am so far removed from that 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 age and that stage of my life mm-hmm. that I would have to think long and hard to go back and get specific about some of those yeah. those uh painful immature moments.
0: So do do you remember I mean I'm sure certainly you do uh in what ways you felt your identity changing? Like, maybe describe for us what what the shift in identity um, was in terms of how you saw who you were before the Lord. How did that How did that work itself
1: out? One of the one of the anchor verses for me, and it's a verse that I have I've shared with my son countless times. But it comes from Proverbs thirteen twenty. You know, he that walks with wise men shall be wise, but mm-hmm. a companion of fools shall be destroyed. And so one of the things that I've always whispered into the ear of my son in particular, my daughter too, but but especially Ken. I've always told him that, you know, if I had, if I've never met you, but if I get to spend an hour with the people that you walk with, I've met you. Mm. Because every man is is a byproduct or is the fruit of the company he keeps. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord saved me at the Kansas City Baptist Temple. He put Pastor Dave Hill into my life, Pops. But it wasn't just Pops. Along came a man by the name of Sam Miles, mm-hmm. Alan Shelby, Troy Stogsdale, Mitch Dobson. Those men were anchor men in my life mm. and i began to walk with those men and those men had no idea i was a sponge and i was watching everything they did i was listening to everything they said and i was picking up on things mm. i i was learning things like i would watch them make decisions and i would like things like it, it became very clear to me that the men that that I was around, I mean young men who were my age, maybe a little older than I was, who were also single like me, but they were they were abstaining from fornication, mm. like genuinely, like they 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 were rooming together with one another and, and living like that. That that was that was alien to me. Yeah, in terms of what I had been exposed to and what I had grown up with. I was watching, I was watching. I mean, Troy Stocksdale, praise the Lord, apart from my salvation, apart from God's word, apart from my wife, uh, Troy Stocksdale has been uh, the most special blessing to me. He Mm -hmm. he is my nearest and dearest friend. And I spent years and hours with Troy with him and his family, him and Jen, and Troy's home. We did everything together. But i was watching him Mm -hmm. i was watching so that's how a husband talks to his wife that's how a husband treats his wife that's how a husband takes care of his home Mm. that's how a husband stewards his relationship with god that's how a man walks with god and and i was just soaking all of that in and i was just learning and so over time my mentality began to change which affected my identity and, and how I began to see myself. Mm-hmm. I know I, I didn't see myself anymore as this 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 deficient black man that that came out of South DeKalb. I began to see myself in the light that the Bible paints me in. I'm not Jew or Greek. I'm in Christ. That's who yeah, I am. Yeah.
0: So then you know, with that perspective, that obviously has evolved and grown and matured over time to the point now that you're a pastor and and God has transformed not just your heart but your mind your actions your conduct the things that you're you know you obsess yourself with um when you see the the world at large um but the church struggling with issues of race and segregation and um you know how do you grapple with that i mean if you were to have a conversation with your son about it um what would that sound like what What are the things that grieve you about the state of things right
1: now well it, it's obviously grievous because god hates schism mm-hmm. so so in and of itself just on that level alone that that's grievous yeah but I understand it and i respect it in terms of the lost world struggling with it Mm -hmm. the lost world not being able to resolve it and work through it i get it they don't have the indwelling of the holy ghost they're not established in god's word so they're ill-equipped to to manage that kind of a beast Right. right where i hurt is i hurt greatly when i see believers not be able to work through it and process it correctly mm-hmm. because at the end of the day what it comes down to for the believer and and as a father i've had and i have these conversations with my children it, it, they have to be established in god's word if you're established in god's word then by default that makes you a biblicist meaning that your perspective on everything is shaped and governed by God's word period Mm -hmm. so whatever the Bible says well then that's that's where you land yeah you know what is it that we read in Psalm 119 128 I I I consider all or I esteem all thy precepts to be right Mm -hmm. I hate every false way yeah and so whatever God says is right then that is what's right and what is false well, then I hate that. Mm-hmm. And so whether we're talking about race or whatever the topic is, well, what does the Bible say about that? Yeah. Whatever the Bible says about it, then that's my position. And so at the end of the day, humanity is a fallen race, yeah. right? And Adam, all die. Mm-hmm. No matter what your gender is, no matter what your race is, we're all born in Adam. That is the common denominator of all of humanity. Mm-hmm. But through Christ, we're made alive. So praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. So when God saved me, he placed me in Christ. And that became my identity. That's who I am. And so as a father of two beautiful biracial children, when we talk about identity, that's their identity. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't have anything to To hang their heads about to be confused about to be ashamed about to have to apologize for you are a new creature Mm -hmm. in christ Mm -hmm. praise god you are accepted in the beloved yeah that's the truth and so my heart for my children has been to see them established and to and to reconcile those biblical truths.
0: What are some of the lies that you see are being sold to um, so white and black believers, both? What What are some of the things that you see them uh, s- struggling to work through because they're because they're listening to the world, they're getting their perspective from the world and and the conversations that surround them? Can you Can you articulate any sure. of those things
1: that you see? One of the things has been that their meaning is is can be found or identified in their ethnicity Mm -hmm. and that's a lie yeah because again in adam all die and there is no flesh that can glory in the presence of god so if that's true then your meaning can't be found in your ethnicity because that's just that's just physical now again Mm -hmm. i remember and again i don't know how you can qualify this, but I remember I was taught years ago in Shepherd School, I remember this statement. I was taking a missions class, and the statement went like this. 95% of all culture has nothing to do with the Bible. It's just culture. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I don't know how you substantiate that, right. but I, I think the point was. It was
0: anecdotal, it was an anecdotal statement. Exactly. Yeah.
1: The point was, culture is culture. Right? There, there are some things in culture that are just inherent to, to, to being, you know, if, if you're from this part of the world and you grew up in this situation, there may be foods that you prefer, mm-hmm. attire that, that you're comfortable wearing, and, and traditions that you practice that are just innate to that culture. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not that it's right or wrong, it's just that it's different mm-hmm. or maybe even unique. And so those things can be appreciated, they can be celebrated, and to some extent, they can define us in terms of you know, our preferences and, and what we're like, but ultimately, we, we, we don't find true meaning in those things. Mm-hmm. A true meaning can only be found, true meaning and purpose, eternal meaning, eternal purpose, right? Things that really matter. That's only found in Christ. Hmm. And so what happens is, is the Satan is masterful in that is taking those realities and saying, okay, so since culturally speaking, you're different from person, this person over here, well then that means that you gotta fight about that. Somebody has to be right. Mm -hmm. Somebody has to be wrong. Someone has to be superior. Someone has to be inferior. Darwinism, right? Yeah, right. And it doesn't have to be that. And so wars have been started over that type of philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Divisions happen over that kind of philosophy. And so listen, let me tell you, there are things about me that are very ethnic. There are things about me that I would consider to be uh, consistent with traditional African American culture, mm-hmm. and that's fine. Yeah, it, it it doesn't. And and listen, I'm very, uh, I love those things, mm-hmm. and I'm very proud of those things. Like to this day, I, I can take some good soulful gospel music, and and I can en- and I do enjoy that. Mm-hmm. Right now, ultimately, it's about worshiping in spirit and in truth. But just stylistically speaking, if you were to ask me, what do you prefer? Well, I'll just tell you: if 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 it was ever decided at Midtown that every week we're going to have the gospel choir, it would get an argument for me. Yeah, right. But I'm also okay with some of the other styles that we do, mm-hmm. and, and that's fine too. Yeah. But those aren't things that are worthy of fighting and dividing.
0: Right. You're saying that that culture uh, cannot subvert who we're called to be as believers. Yes. But so often it does. I've heard you say this before that that. If there's anything that comes before the term Christian, yes. If, if there's a, a qualifier or an identifier that has to be placed, at, you know, before you say Christian, whether it be white Christian, black Christian, denominational this or that, um, whatever that might be, then then that has the ability to uh, usurp um, or to defraud the thing that we're really actually supposed to be uh, primarily, and that is a, a believer, or a Christian.
1: True, and what it does is it gives place to the devil. Mm. In what way? Because it's saying that my identity truly isn't Christ. Mm -hmm. It's something else. Mm -hmm. And whatever that something else is, if it's not Christ, it's giving place to the devil. Yeah. Because whatever you perceive your identity to be forms your thinking, your speech, and your walk.
0: Mm. We go to a multi-ethnic church. And uh, so it looks a lot like, you know, your experience at Kansas City Baptist Temple. And so we've got people from all over the world here, uh, many different, you know, uh, ethnicities, backgrounds, um, skin tones, uh, we run the gamut. Do you ever uh, face prejudicial treatment uh, or misunderstandings? How do you deal with the, like when the issue of race comes up in ministry, uh, how do you confront that? How do you deal with that? And, and, and how do you instruct those that you're called to lead as a pastor as it concerns race? I mean, you've got young believers from all over the city, black people coming into our church who've grown up uh, similar to how you grew up, mm. and now you've got to, to guide them and shepherd them in a way that promotes this this Christian identity, this disciple of Jesus Christ identity. How do you go about doing that, and, and, and what does that look like?
1: That's a, that's a very good question. I think one of the errors that I believe too many believers make is not being able to distinguish between problems and symptoms. Hmm. Okay, I, th- I think that's very critical. So something the Lord has helped me with that has really helped me to manage injustice, uh, discrimination, racial things, all of that, has been this. Reality should always shape our expectations. Okay, here's where I'm going with that. Paul says, there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. Nothing, Mm -hmm. okay? So a lost man doesn't have the spirit of God. He's not established in the word of God. So guess what he can't do? He can't walk in the spirit, mm. right? He, he he can't do that. Mm-hmm. You can't do that without the Holy Spirit right. and the word of God. So now that's the truth. That's real. So what are my expectations now? My expectations are based on that reality. I I can't expect. I don't care what color he or she might yeah. be. I can't expect... Someone who is unsaved to be righteous and to be just and to be loving and to be kind, how 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 can lost people do that? Right. Why would I expect so so why would I also be stunned at injustice? Mm-hmm. Why would I be stunned at that? Well, what do I expect? And it's not that I'm being cynical right. or, or, or just always looking for the bad in people. Again, what should our expectations be for someone who doesn't have a relationship with God? Mm-hmm. So, so injustice or racism is not the problem. Those are only manifestations or symptoms of the problem. Right. The problem is they don't. No, Christ, yeah, they're still yet lost in their sin. Yes. Yeah. So, so whenever I turn the TV on and I see something that is dark and hateful and you know unjust and all of that, I don't lose my mind asking the question why. Mm-hmm. I know why. Yeah. Now I'm not saying I'm okay with it. I'm not saying that it doesn't bother me. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Uh, all of it matters. And it does bother me. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, that individual needs to meet Christ. Mm-hmm. And they need to begin growing as a disciple indeed because if those two things happen, we're gonna get a different narrative out of that person's life. I mean, look at the, look at the apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. Look at who he right. was, yeah. as Saul. Right. I mean, here's a man who hated people like us. And he has this encounter with Christ and now he comes to a point where he's ready to give his life for people like us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that is the work of the holy spirit in the heart of people that can bring about that kind of change and so in terms of the people that i'm very fortunate to to work with and people that i get to lead starting with my my family it's seeing them established in the word of god is seeing them become biblicists mm-hmm. so that they're able to properly discern symptoms from problems when it comes to this whole issue of race and injustice and racism and all of that.
0: So when you do that, when you open up the Bible and you begin to do that, um, what are some of the things that you, you come back to time and time again in terms of the issue of, of race and, and maybe God's expectation for his children? Uh, obviously, uh, you and I are from completely different backgrounds, mm-hmm. And yet, we found a way to minister together. What are some of the governing principles that follow us in our ability to commune, despite whatever differences we might face, beyond race, even um, music preferences, clothing preferences, you know, whatever it might be? What are some of the, the biblical principles that you use to help guide and shepherd other people to believe uh,
1: Christ in that way? You know, someone once said that the most significant perspective that concerns god in our lives is our perspective of him Mm -hmm. because how we see god shapes how we see everything else including ourselves and so if i have a proper view of god i'll have a proper view of myself and i have a proper view of people Mm -hmm. and so we often talk about seeing lost people through the eyes of jesus which i think is great and i think what we're what we're advocating there is compassion and love and mercy and grace and and all of that which is which is fantastic and so when we do that well then what we're seeing is we're seeing souls yeah we're not seeing color right right we're, we're having a john three sixteen perspective for god so loved the world and so we see the world the way that god sees the world mm. we love the world with god's love we want to see them reconciled back to him through the person of Jesus Christ. Well, that's also applicable with one another. Mm -hmm. If I'm seeing God correctly, I'm gonna see you correctly. Well, how do I see you? I don't see you as Brandon, my white brother in Christ. I see you as Brandon, my brother in Christ, period. And I see the whole body of Christ that way. Now, at the same time, because God clearly treasures diversity, I've come to really appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, we had a stint of ministry on Long Island, and and we were in a church that was a collection of people from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And we had some wonderful experiences with brothers and sisters from Ghana, Africa, from Brazil, from the Philippines, from Malaysia, all over the globe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in their home for dinner from Greece, from Italy, and learning about their culture and learning about some of your traditions and things like that it was it was fantastic. And so so you you get to appreciate and once again celebrate things that we get to enjoy in Christ as yeah. believers. Yeah. We were talking about, you know,
0: areas where there is potential prejudice in the church. I mean even among believers who who share mm-hmm. Christ, they have Christ in common might still have some cultural things that get in the way of them seeing everyone rightly, like things that can kind of be stumbling blocks. And I know we've had this conversation before, so I wanna invite you to talk about it, but the fact that you are in a, in a biracial marriage, right, with, with mm-hmm. children who are biracial, has at times maybe been problematic, and that's been one way where you've had to address, both with your family, but also in your approach to people, not not the sense of that you need to justify it, sure. but just the fact that it exists, that this is a, a pro this is a problem that people have. So how do you how do you address that? Like when you think about that, I mean what what do you do? How do you converse with your children about that? How do you address your congregation about subjects like that that are clearly divisive for some?
1: You know, my wife and I we have we've been married for almost 20 years. And she and I, we You know, whenever this comes up, a shared belief for both of us is that we have to be reminded that I guess somehow we're different.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, like, we don't, we're just Kenny and Lori. I love my wife very much. She's a godly woman. She's an amazing woman. She's she's pretty amazing. She is. God outdid himself. Mm -hmm. Like, I I, I don't even know. I, I, I could spend... This the this whole episode talking about her. She's fantastic. Yeah. I you know whatever you're looking for, you're gonna find. So I don't. I'm at peace. Mm-hmm. I really am. I'm at peace with who I am in Christ and and my identity is so much Him. Yeah. I'm just I don't think about what the world thinks about us or mm-hmm. what society thinks about us or 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 what was that or I, I just yeah. don't I, I'm I'm so at peace and I I so enjoy my wife and my children. We're not victims. We're not so one of the things that I I've 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 taught my kids has been, listen. You are not less than anyone, and you're not more than anyone mm-hmm. and you never have to hang your head because you were born out of a biracial marriage you're you're in Christ yeah yeah you're loved by him eternally he's placed his spirit in you he's given you his word. Mm-hmm. You have his church. You've been made to sit together in heavenly places. What do you have to apologize for or or, or be ashamed about? And so that's just who we are as a family. Mm -hmm. So I would say the thing that believers have to remember is that when it comes to the issue of race and all of that, the media— is not inspired and infallible yeah god's word is Mm -hmm. and so i'm afraid that for so many believers they are allowing the media one side or the other to inform them on this whole issue Mm -hmm. and i'm sorry i don't care what outlet you ascribe to they're gonna get it wrong right (laughs) Yeah, Because the media is in the media business, mm-hmm. and whatever they believe can stir things yeah. up and get interest and get people debating and fighting and warring, they're going to push it. Right, The Word of God settles it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, for me, again, I'm so thankful to get saved in a church that held a position that it held on the Word of God. And that's what I was given. So I'm thankful for Pops. Pops, Pastor Dave Hill, he he's an African American man. Mm -hmm. And he discipled me, but he discipled me to be a disciple indeed. He didn't disciple me to be a black disciple. Right. He he didn't sit me down to to make sure that I ascribe to some black ideology. And, And not that he's against african-american people or that Mm -hmm. i am it's just that we're just both pro bible right yeah (laughs) and so uh, so i'm not i I don't walk through i I don't have a chip on my shoulder Mm -hmm. i'm not walking through life so here we go uh this was this would have been a year ago maybe a little longer when when the the pandemic was really roaring i mean we're still in it but when it was really in full Mm -hmm. full full throttle right there's a walking trail that's that's close to my home it's very nice it's a great place to go it's it's very scenic and, and all of that so it's a beautiful morning and i'm just handling my my step business mm-hmm. and there's an older white woman who's who's walking in the opposite direction toward me and as she got closer to me she bumped out several yards to to clearly not get too close to me And then once she passed me, she jumped back on the trail. And there's two ways I can look at that. Mm -hmm. If I'm looking for something, well, then she's a racist. Mm -hmm. But if I'm being objective and just being honest about the situation, here's an elderly woman, no matter what color she is. She's elderly. We're in the midst of a horrific pandemic where people like her we're really and are really at risk. Mm-hmm. I bet the reason she did that is she's just trying to socially yeah. distance, right? Yeah.
0: So you're saying it, it comes down to perspective. It and, does, and whether or not we're willing to accept the fact that God has bestowed grace on us, and so we—it's it, only right. It's only reasonable that we would be sacrificial and gracious towards others, despite their perspectives and despite their objectives and purposes and despite their ideologies our ideology is christ died for us so we live a mortified life yes the only identity we have is is, is in the cross and the resurrection period right? yeah praise the lord it's powerful um so just in terms of of being in a, in a multi-ethnic church uh What are the things that you enjoy the most about the diversity of cultures? Let's just talk about the joy of being multicultural. What are some of the the things that you enjoy the most about being in a a multicultural church and what you get to experience uh, through being around people that
1: aren't like you or from the same background that you came from? I think one of the things I enjoy so much is that I think the perspective that I've, I've given you about all this is corporately shared here. You know, from Sam to you and me, and and the and and we are, we're lighthearted. Like we like we 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 appreciate the the ethnic and cultural diversity of Midtown. We appreciate it. We celebrate it. Yeah. Was it a couple of weeks ago on a Tuesday night? We encourage people to to come here on a Tuesday night in in their native attire or Mm -hmm. their native garb. Right. Where. We're celebrating that, no mm-hmm. matter where you're from or, or what you're like, chances are in Midtown there's someone like you. Yeah. And we really are a church for all peoples as as we say. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that we don't have there's not there isn't racial tension, right? Mm-hmm. We' We don't spend the bulk of our pastoral meetings or staff meetings talking about how to appease this racial group or how to appease that racial group or how mm-hmm. to deal with to make sure we don't offend somebody over here it's just that and i and again I, i'm going to just brag on god here that is the byproduct of a disciple making culture yeah because when you're making disciples you deal with the identity issue mm-hmm. because as they grow as disciples indeed their identity settles itself yeah. they understand that hey okay i know who i am in christ but along the way we get to celebrate who we are in terms of from an ethnic perspective or cultural perspective mm-hmm. and so it's a place that is open and free and no one has to be ashamed because right. they're from some corner of, yeah. the, of, of the earth and and they just got here a year ago, and 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 they walk in and they're like, "Oh, there's someone here from India too. Mm-hmm. There's someone here from Cambodia or whatever right. it might be." And so I just I just thank God that the identity of Midtown Baptist Temple is not Republican, Democrat, Black, White, Male, Female, that it's Christ. Yeah, and and I'm just free to be Kenny. Mm-hmm. I'm not Black Kenny. I'm not South DeKalb, Kenny. I'm just Kenny in Christ, yeah. and and the things about me that are ethnic. You and I have these conversations, whether it be music or you know stuff like that. Yeah, you know, we, you make fun of me. You but, make and you make fun of me. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's fantastic because we know yeah. we know that we love each other.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, man, I, this is a hard conversation. And, uh, and you were very gracious in the way that you you talked about it. And I think it does lend perspective for people who are either struggling through the racial identity issue or just any identity issue, right? Anything that comes in front of Christ, um, you're, like you said, it, is potential to give place to the devil. And, and we've got to be on guard. And the best way to be on guard is t- to learn to love the things that God loves absolutely. and God loves people, yeah, right? Absolutely. So, Kenny, I love you, man. I'm thankful love for you. More. Thanks for spending time with me. Yeah, this week. All right, brother, yeah. and uh, we love you too, and we're thankful uh, for for our listening audience. And I know that a lot of you guys come from from different backgrounds, uh, male, female, old, young. We want you to know that you're accepted in Jesus Christ, uh, regardless of your background. Um, even if it's hard for you to follow along with the English on the episodes, uh, maybe you're coming from different places in the world where it's, it's hard to follow along with our English, we want you to know that we love you uh, because Christ loved you first, and you have a place here. You have a place at LFBI, and we're seeking to make LFBI a, di- a diverse school uh, that's accepting of, of people from every different background, and we're doing our very best to see that happen, even in the translation of our content. We're trying to, right now, actively translate our content into Spanish uh, to accommodate our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we want you to know, I mean, this is just an opportunity for us to express that love to you and and tell you that we're grateful for you and and for you joining us on this show and listening every week. Uh, We pray that God would continue to grow you in grace, uh, that you might see people the way that He does. Uh, God bless you, and we hope to see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.